Hey, Connection Point Church, we are so excited to uh, be able to meet another week. I am Joel Halpin. This is Ashley Green. Hey. And we have a word that we want to share with you today. We have been going through a series called He's Still Got the Whole World in His Hands. And really, with all of the stuff we've been facing, we know that there's a lot of uh, uncertainty. And so last week, we said that uh, the Bible, when we read God's Word, really what we're reading is that we're reading the story of a certain God in uncertain times. We're reading about God being faithful even when we are unfaithful. And so really when we look at the Bible, it is a story of us. And I mean that that it's a story of what we're going through right sure. now, in fact. And so I thought I'd start off just first of all saying, I guess, hello. We're glad that y'all are joining us. Go ahead, give us some praise hands or whatever you want to do. <laughs> give us a wave. Um, but I want to start off with a question, and actually I'm going to ask this question to you, but also want to hear y'all's answer as well, because we've been talking about uncertainty now for a while as we've gone through this COVID ordeal. And so actually the question I'm going to ask you is, mm -hmm. uh, has there ever been a time, I'd like you to describe a time in which you went through the most uncertain time in your life, or maybe the scariest moment of your life? Okay. Now I'm going to tell you about the scariest moment of my life, uh, but I'd like to hear uh, from y'all as well. So like, I mean, maybe you're on a plane and there was turbulence, whatever it is, a, a time in which you were just terrified. Now for me, I, I went through a moment, uh, this was several years ago, my son Elliot, uh, he was in kindergarten and he was getting off of the bus and I was there to pick him up. Uh, I was actually waiting by my house and waiting on him to walk up and he never gets off the bus. And the bus drives away, and my son is nowhere to be found. And so I actually jump in my car, and I flag the bus driver down, and we, we, the bus driver has no idea, says maybe he didn't get on the bus. And then I call the school, and the school says, no, he's on the log. We saw him. He got on the bus. They even had a teacher that said, no, I, I put him on the bus. And so I had this moment where uh, the school is telling me he got on the bus, but he didn't get off the bus. And so I didn't know what to do. I said, what should I do? And the school said, we have no idea. We will uh, we'll look on the other buses. And they just basically hung up and I was left there alone. And so I did the only thing I could, I could think of doing. I started driving around my neighborhood. And in my mind, every thought of what could be happening to my child was going through my head. And I was so scared. I was so helpless. And as I drove around, uh, I had thoughts of, why am I here? There's no way he would be here, but I had nothing else to do. And it was in that moment, I finally just stopped my car and I started praying. And that's all I knew to do was pray. Ashley, do you have a, 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 any, can you relate to that at all? And by the way, there's a good, good end to this story. I <laughs> yeah, didn't find yeah. my son. He was actually at, a, at, he had gotten off the bus at one of his friend's house. And there was, when I drove up to his friend's house, I got directions to it. Um, the mom was outside because she knew she had some extra kid and she didn't know what to do with it and, and what to do with him. And so uh, it was it was funny to her. It was not quite so funny to me at the time, but uh, it ended good. But I remember the fear I felt. How about you? Um, so I remember there was a time a couple of years ago that I got a phone call that I had a family member that had a medical emergency. And it was kind of one of those, you need to come meet us at the hospital. And I didn't really know what I was going to walk into. I was by myself. Um, and I walk into the room in the emergency room and I see them on the bed and they're unconscious. They're convulsing. Um, and it was really scary. And I was, I had somebody else in the room with me, another family member. And the doctor comes in and starts talking to us about, um, life support and, you know, um, 
care measures for this person and what are you comfortable doing and what are you, you know, do you have a DNR? And, and I, I had no idea that I was, that's what I was going to walk into. I didn't know that's what, how bad it was going to be. Um, and I was terrified and I felt very helpless and just like, this isn't, this is not what I thought today was going to look like. Um, and the same, the same thing. I, the only thing I knew to do in that moment was to pray and to just like, please don't let this happen today. Please don't let this be the, don't let this be where this day ends. And what's interesting, in fact, if, if uh, maybe if you're watching this, I want you to think about a time in which God drew him, drew you to himself. And I would be willing to bet there was at least some uncertainty surrounding that. And, and what's interesting is I know for me in my moment, and I, I bet it's the same for Ashley, um, when, I was, when I was terrified for my son, my relationship with God got clearer than it has ever been. You know, a lot of times we walk around thinking about, uh, does God love me? Maybe you have shame in your life. Maybe you feel like, you know, I've got things to confess. If you come from a background where you need to confess, all of these things. Um, but what happens when you're terrified? What happens when I'm just praying for God to let me find my son? Uh, you know what I didn't do? Uh, I didn't get tempted one time during those two hours. I had no temptation. If the devil himself would have been standing there with a plate of cookies or something, <laughs> Ashley, I'm telling you, I, I, I had no temptation. Another thing is I didn't feel any shame or I didn't feel as if I'm not good enough to go to God. God, I don't even know why I'm talking to you. It, it was none of that. It was just, God, hey, I just need this. I, I'm experiencing this fear and uncertainty. I need you. I didn't uh, feel the need to confess, hey, God, before I you know, try to ask you for something, I just want to, uh, first of all, confess my sins. There was none of that. It was probably the most clear my relationship with God has ever been. In fact, I'm going to guess that you had the same experience, that you... Sure, uh, yeah. That it just becomes so clear. And for this reason, I think that God does more in our lives during uncertainty than in any other time. And so as we uh, think about... The Bible, many of us think it's, uh, it's a way that we can find um, peace of God by God settling down our world. But really what we find is the exact opposite. That the Bible is almost always a story of God bringing uncertainty, God proving himself in the midst of our, our turmoil, in the midst of our, our, our just being scared, being uncertain. And so uh, one of the things that, uh, that often happens when we talk about uncertainty is, is we try to, to navigate uh, what do we do while we're waiting on God. In fact, last week I, I gave a, a Bible verse. It's kind of the, the theme verse for this series. He's still got the whole world in his hand. The, the, the Bible verse is Romans 8.28. It says this, and we know in all things God works together for the good of those who love him and have been called by his name. Uh, to simplify it, to shorten it, I would just say, uh, we know that in all things, excuse me, in all things, God works. In all things, God works. In quarantine, God works. The question we want to look at today is what do we do in the meantime? When the uncertainty hits us and we know God is going to work, what do we do in the meantime? Now, the good thing is that the Bible actually has a pretty easy answer, a pretty clear answer. And in fact, Ashley, I just want to ask you this question because I'm going to give you the Bible's answer, okay? Okay. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. So, mm -hmm. 
I don't know how your quarantine's been going. To, uh, I know somewhat, but uh, sure. you know there might be some things you're experiencing. If you were to come to me with these anxieties from uh, being sheltered in place and the uncertainty of how long this is going to last, mm-hmm. and you were going to present me with a problem, if I responded, Ashley, all you need is, look, the Bible even says it, just rejoice in the mm-hmm. Lord. That's what you need to do. To do. Just rejoice. Just be happy, yeah, Ashley. Be happy in the Lord. How would you respond to that? Well, I think verbally, I would say, like, I know. Thanks, Joel. Thanks for being a good pastor. Thanks. Um, But in my head, I would be frustrated. I would be, I would, I think I would tell myself, uh, or what I would want, what I would want to say to you is, you don't know. You don't know what I'm dealing with. You don't, like, thanks for invalidating me, making me feel like what I am feeling isn't a big deal, or um, you're making it really simple. It's not that easy. That's that, that's probably what I'd want to yell. Right. It's not that easy. Yeah, and I think that's how most people would respond. In fact, we've probably been in those situations where you're facing a problem and somebody gives you a Bible verse and they're well-meaning. And uh, as I read this and I've revisited I actually preached on this not too long ago, a few months ago. But I came back to it because one of the things that that I think we've lost touch with when we read this, we read this as just the Bible saying, be happy. Right. And what happens is we start with our context. And like you said, you don't know me. You don't know what I'm going through. How how dare you? And so what happens is we start with our context and somebody tells us, hey, you should be happy in your context. Mm -hmm. And that is a misreading, a misunderstanding of what Paul is saying. When Paul says this, I think that another part of this also is many of us don't know what it means to rejoice in the Lord. Many of us don't understand that, uh, that there's a difference between rejoicing and rejoicing in the Lord. Now, if I were to say to you, hey, rejoice in your job, you'd be like, oh, I got a great job. I understand that. Or rejoice in that award you won. Rejoice in the fact that you have a family or you have a roof over your head. Hey, rejoice in that. We say, okay, I understand. I can be happy about those things. Rejoice that your team won. You could be, uh, you can figure that out. But it's an entirely different thing when we rejoice in the Lord. Now, again, most of us, when we uh, go through uncertainty, we start with our context. But when we're getting this advice from Paul, rejoice in the Lord, we need to understand his context. Because until you understand Paul's context, when he tells us to rejoice in the Lord, you will never, ever accept what he's saying. You will just look at him. You will blow it off and you will say, I, I, I'm not going to listen to that. That's just that religious, uh, you know, just gushy kind of happy-go-lucky. Right. But that's not what is going on. Let me tell you a little bit about Paul's circumstances as he writes this. Now, Paul was a man who, he was a Jewish man, and he, he got this experience from God in which he saw the risen Christ. And it changed everything about him. So he began to go all over his part of the world, and he would start churches. And he would go into a city knowing nobody, totally un- total uncertainty. And some people would receive him, but most people would, uh, would not receive him. Most people did not like him. In fact, some of them would get angry. Some of them would beat him. He was actually stoned and that means he had rocks thrown at his face. <laughs> Thank you for the clarification. Uh, that means that he was, in fact, he was, one time they stoned him so much that they thought he was dead. He had been beaten with rocks so much, he, he, they thought he was dead, and they just left him on the ground. And, and then he was arrested, uh, he was arrested a few times, but he was arrested, and they, they, as they're arresting him, they find out he's a Roman citizen, and so they decide to ship him to Rome. They, they chain him to a guard, 
and they put him in the bottom of a ship and they put him on the rocky sea and he has a shipwreck. And he finds himself for three months on an island chained to a guard. And eventually they get off, they're rescued. And when, I mean, if you're rescued from an island, you would think, oh, finally some peace. Instead, they take him straight to death row. He's in house arrest in Rome. And as they uh, await his final punishment, he, he's apparently low on the totem pole. So he spends this time in Rome on death row awaiting for somebody to come. And this is what he, what he knows is, is about to happen. At some point, somebody's going to knock on his door and they're going to say, Paul, it's time to go. And they're going to, again, chain him to, uh, to a guard and he's going to be taken outside of the city. And then they are simply going to put his head down on a stone or onto a log and they are going to chop off his head. And no one's going to see it. No one else is going to be there. No one is going to know about it. It's just that one day Paul won't be there. And so when Paul tells us to rejoice in the Lord, we need to understand the context that Paul is telling us is every time he hears a knock on the door, he wonders, is this it? And in fact, most of us, if we were to live Paul's life, we would live the entire, uh, every single moment of his Christian life, we would say, God, where are you? God, where are you? We would spend our entire life just saying, where's God in this? So when Paul gives us this advice, we need to, to understand it's not Joel the pastor. It's not, uh, it's not someone who hasn't been where you've been. Wherever you think you are, however bad it is, Paul's experience is 10 times worse, probably 100 times worse. Mm-hmm. Now that's the context, context. So let's go back to this idea. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Now, in that context, what do you think it means when we, to rejoice in the Lord? What is Paul telling us to do? I think it's that um, that rejoice is to like to take delight in, to take um, to take jo- have joy and take comfort in. And it's it, I love that he says rejoice in the Lord. And so even when things are hard, even when you know we're whether it's we're self quarantined or we're anxious about what is what is life going to look like next um i can rejoice in that the lord is still the lord i can right. rejoice that the lord is in control and god is still god and and i i will i serve the lord is on my side like he is my lord and i can rejoice in that that's right and and it's it's important for us to know that and on his worst day, when he is on death row, and he and he is, it's unfair. He shouldn't be on death row. Understand? He could have been freed. He should have been freed. But in this, all of the injustice, all of the uncertainty, he still has this rejoice because he knows God has done great things for him, mm-hmm. and he never loses sight of that. God has forgiven his sins. Paul knows that there's going to be a day in which he stands before God, and God says, "Paul, what? Why should I give you eternal life?" Why should I, I, I let you be with me forever? And Paul's answer to that is going to be, hey, because Jesus died for me. Jesus did something I could not do. He freed me. He rescued me. And, and so Paul lived his life uh, knowing that ultimately he had reasons to be happy in every circumstance, even when his life is on the line. Right. He also knew that uh, that Jesus had a promise uh, to him, had promised him that even in the midst of the storms, 
he will be with us. Right. So we had all of this, um, these promises. And so when we get Paul's context to rejoice in the Lord, it is not rejoice in your circumstances, not rejoice in, in your income. It is rejoice yeah. in, the, in Lord. the Lord. Yeah. God has done great things for you and has great things in store. And, and another part of this that as, Christ, as Christians, as Christ fathers, we cannot lose sight of is that a Christian's life never makes sense on this side of heaven. Right. And we just can't lose sight of the fact that Paul is saying rejoice because your life is just beginning when it's taken. Right. When that knock comes on the door for, for Paul in his uh, cell, that's when his life is going to begin. His eternal life is going to begin uh, then. And so there's this hope that he has mm-hmm. even in that circumstance. Yeah. All right. Now, as we continue, Paul says, um, let your reasonableness be known. To everyone. Mm-hmm. Now, this seems unreasonable, by the way. <laughs> Let your reasonableness uh, be known in hard circumstances because the Lord is at hand. That's what he says next. The Lord is at hand. So for him, he's always going to be at peace. He's always going to have this calmness because he knows the Lord is at hand. God is with him. But this is what he says next. He gives us some more uh, advice that we sometimes simplify. He says this. He says, do not be anxious about anything. How's that for some advice when somebody comes to you worried and you just say to them, hey, Ashley, don't worry about it. Ashley, you don't need to worry about that. Yeah, it goes over real well. All right. Um, <laughs> again, how would you feel if, if that was my advice to you, Ashley? If, I were to just, if you were to come to me and bear your soul a little bit uh, and I were to say, Ashley, the Bible says, hey, be happy and you should actually not worry about it. Yeah. How does that make you feel? I mean, it's, again, it's very invalidating. Um, it, and quite honestly, it would make me not want to, the next time that I have anxiety or that I'm worried about something, it's going to make me not want to share it with you because <laughs> it doesn't, I don't walk away. You, it, that's the same thing as like telling someone who's angry, calm down. It doesn't, you, they're not going to calm down. And so by right. telling me when I'm worried, don't worry, that it, I'm not going to walk away and be like, you know what? Joel was right. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I think it's important for us to remember that Paul doesn't just leave us there. So he says, rejoice in the Lord. In other words, hey, God's done great things for you. He sets his perspective. But then he says, but you need to, don't worry. And instead of worry, he gives us something else to mm-hmm. do. Um, and this is what he says. He says, to replace your worry with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, it sounds, again, it's really easy to read this and just say, oh, well, Paul's just telling us to... Hey, you need to be happy and you need to pray about it. Just pray about it. But he, he's, he's saying more than just pray about it. Now, he says with prayer and supplication, that is, we're going to pray about the things that we want or that we need. We're going to give those to God. But then he uses this word, and in Greek, it's a very special word. He uses this word that's translated here, let them be made known. Some versions may say present. But really what that word is getting at is to uncover or reveal, deeply reveal what it is you want God to do. And so it's okay to present our request to God. Let, to, to, it's, it's okay to give prayer and petition. In other mm-hmm. words, God, I want this. But then there's another level that he says, then you need to reveal your heart to God. You need to really uncover what it is you're praying for. We see this uh, with Jesus in the garden. In his most trying time, Jesus says what? He says, um, Lord, if there's any way to let this cup pass from me. In other words, I don't want to go through this. So he gives his prayer and petition. He's praying for what he wants. But then he says, 
But nevertheless, your will be done. And what Jesus reveals is that in his worst moment, in his hardest moment, he has wants. He has these prayers and petitions that he would love for God to answer. But really what he desires is he desires to do God's will. That's an example of letting your, praying a prayer and petition, but also just letting your heart be known. The real answer here is what are you really worried about? That's what, we, what Paul is digging at. Ashley, I want to ask you this question. Um, have you ever prayed a prayer consistently mm-hmm. only to discover that God wanted to heal or answer that prayer in a different, maybe deeper way? Yeah, so my husband and I, um, shortly after we got married, we wanted to start a family, and we realized after you know a little over a year that we were struggling with infertility. And um, I prayed, and we prayed over and over that we would get pregnant and that we would start a family because that's how we wanted to build our family. And God led us in a different way um, to build our family. But um, in in doing that, and in and it, I mean, it took years. It was a long process. But in, in praying about that and um, just he, he, pressing into the Lord, uh, the Lord just revealed and, and healed my heart of, I, I realized that I wanted so badly to be a mom and to get pregnant and have a baby because I thought that's where my identity would be. I thought I would have more worth in doing that. I thought that was like the next rite of passage as a rite of, you know, as a woman, that's what I had to do. Um, and, and, but by, by the Lord, you know, Essentially, I mean, I, I made my request known and eventually like I began, I began to say like, but God, I want your will to be done. And the Lord healed my heart of saying like, Ashley, you are worthy because you are a daughter of the King. Like you are worthy because of, of who, what I have done for you, not because of you're going to, you know, make, make babies. <laughs> right. Ashley's preaching by the way. She's going. <laughs> yes. And, and uh, for me, it resonates as well. I, I have had the same uh, experience. You know, I, um, when we started this church, uh, um, we were we've been a small church our entire mm-hmm. existence. But when we first began, I mean, when we were less than fifty people. I was always praying, God, let our church grow, make our church grow. Mm-hmm. And after years of it not really growing at all, or, or not much. Um, I began to dig into my prayer, and I just kind of began to reveal some things to God in my prayer life that uh, really eventually brought me peace. The first thing I realized is that I'm praying this because I feel as if God had called me to start a church, and I felt like I was failing God. That was one of the reasons I wanted it to grow, so it would validate that, hey, God, you, you called me to this, and hey, look what I did with it. And so my prayer began to shift a little bit from grow the church to God, let me honor you with the way that I lead. Uh, I also had a fear that I wasn't going to be able to provide for my family. I had a fear that uh, maybe we wouldn't be able to make ends meet. And so I, I began to just reveal that of God, uh, I, I would love for the church to grow, but really I just want to know that you're going to provide for my family, that you're going to take care of me. Um, and that's really where my fear lies. And as I begin to pray um, those those prayers of God, let me just be pleasing to you. Let me live a life that honors you. And, and Lord, take care of my family. Allow me to provide for my family or, or you provide for my family. I began to have peace even when our church didn't grow. In fact, I began to actually have peace knowing that this is where God wants us, that God, that I am honoring God. And so I began to have peace in the midst of my prayer not being answered. Mm-hmm. He was doing something. He was answering it at a deeper level. Um, and so he, he says that, and, and I just began to think that most of us, when we, when we pray, we pray about things. 
We pray uh, right now. We're praying about our government. God, let them do this. Let them not do this. Uh, we pray about our marriages. We pray for the things that we want, and we try to control it. We try to dictate it. Really, one of the things I hope we see in this is that there's another level about why we pray. In fact, many of us know what we are praying for, but we don't know why we are praying for. And so my whole hope of this message today is that you'll be able to, to rejoice in the Lord and to find a peace, even if this quarantine lasts longer or if, if um, things change pretty soon, that we're going to have a peace. And this is the promise that we're going to end on today. Verse 7 says, if we do this, if we present our request to God, if we reveal our hearts to God and submit that to Him, it says, in the peace of God, not the peace of having a job, not the peace of your circumstance, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. That means that people are going to, to look at you and they're going to see what you're going through and they're going to see your reasonableness. They're going to see that you're steady and that you've got a joy and a peace that doesn't make sense to them. It surpasses all understanding. He says, he says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts. It doesn't say it'll guard your job. It doesn't say it'll guard your marriage. It doesn't say it'll guard it. It'll guard your heart. What God is going to do is give you a peace in your heart uh, and in your mind in Christ Jesus. Now, when you hear this promise, how does, it, how does this um, affect you? How do you feel when you hear this? Uh, how does this give you comfort? It, it, I love that it's, there's that promise that it will guard your heart. I just love the wording that is, it, you know, it surpasses all understanding, not some of it, not just a little bit, not almost all of it, but it surpasses all understanding and that it will guard your hearts and your minds. There's just, there's such a comfort of it. Maybe, I mean, if you're, if you do it really well, that it will guard your hearts and your minds. If you do it every day, it'll guard your hearts and your minds. No, it will guard your hearts and your minds. Yeah. And I think that we need to understand that when we pray for God to change things out there, really, if he does that or if he does not do it, what God wants to do is he wants to change us in here. He wants to bring us peace in our hearts, no matter the circumstance. Now, here's a prayer that I want to challenge you to pray this week. Okay, now, the first thing I would say is start off presenting your request with God, which would simply look like this. Father, I need you to, or Father, please do this and just and give that request to God. But then after that request, I want you to go a little bit deeper. Say, God, I need you to do, and then whatever your request is. But then say, because if you don't, I fear that. Mm -hmm. And just admit to God what your fears are. So maybe you're praying right now in the, uh, the uncertainty of, in fact, we can talk a little bit right now. There's so much uncertainty yeah. of uh, they're talking about reopening, uh, but may not, may not be soon enough for some of us. And so there's this fear of, is it, am I going to be able to last through this quarantine? And then some people have the fear of, well, I'm scared to go back right. to work. I'm, I'm not scared. ready to go back, yeah. And so having, having these fears and uncertainty around us, um, it's important for us to be clear on what we're praying for. God, I pray that I'll be able to keep my job because I fear that if I don't, I won't be able to provide for my family. And as I pray that, it begins to unlock, okay, what I need to be praying for is God provide for my family. I'm praying right. for security. Or God, if I lose my job, I, I fear that people are going to um, judge me or, or that I won't be um, good enough. Mm -hmm. and, and then you can begin to pray for, the, you know, really I want an identity in Christ. I want people to know that, 
man, look, even when he has lost a job or even when they're going through that, look how God is sustaining them. Mm -hmm. and I, they have that joy. Um, uh, and so the last thing I want to do is just challenge us to kind of give um, a testimony. And uh, for some of us, if you're facing uncertainty right now, maybe you just type in or, or just let us know. What is it that you fear with our current circumstance? Maybe you have a fear of uh, things trying to get back to normal, and you have a fear of getting sick if you go back. Or, or maybe your prayer is uh, with your job or the economy. Maybe your prayer is with your relationships. Mm -hmm. So let's take a, a moment just to uh, be honest with God. And, and if you don't feel comfortable doing that, uh, that's, that's totally fine. Uh, but we would love to, to be able to pray with you and pray for you in the comments. Uh, and then some of us, maybe you have a testimony you'd like to share with us. Maybe you uh, just want to say, you know what, God has been certain in my uncertainty. Uh, and, and, and you want to just give a, a, a prayer, I mean, you want to give a testimony of how God has shown up in the midst of this, how you've had peace or, or joy in the midst of this. And so I hope that this week, really my heart is that our church will not be um, riding the waves of the news cycle or riding the waves of our social media post. But instead, I pray that whether or not this lasts much longer or if we go back sooner than some of us are comfortable with, right. I pray that we'll begin to have a joy and a mm -hmm. peace in our heart of knowing that, that God is going to be who He says, that we can rejoice in right. Him because He still has the whole world in His hands.